0: Welcome to the True Face Podcast, where we have conversations about what we can learn from what's going on in our lives. My name is Robbie Engel, and I'll be your guide as we learn how to increase trust and experience grace. Today, I'm excited to welcome a guest to the podcast that I just met a few months ago, but we have really enjoyed our conversations and engaging with him, and he feels like an older friend. Mike Baer is a veteran of modern business as mission, which I'll get him to unpack in this podcast. He's a pastor, an entrepreneur, a theologian. He's been an executive. Mike's led and taught business as mission all over the world on every continent, except Antarctica. Uh, I don't think that one one yet, but he's still young. That's right. Uh, You're a prolific author, speaker, founder of Uh, Jay Holdas project you graduated from Flagler College in Florida which is where my sister went and Dallas Theological Seminary where I got a certificate in biblical studies and now you live in North Carolina mountains where my parents live and where I'm slightly jealous to not be living Mike (laughs) welcome to
1: the true face podcast man thanks Robbie good to be here where are you in North Carolina we are in Hendersonville which is a, a town about 20 miles out of Asheville up in the western western mountains that's awesome beautiful yeah. area so
0: I uh back in the day I first learned of this whole business as mission thing really from my dad who uh, was an attorney in the law practice and he said this is the ministry God's called me to and then he then he went into full-time paid ministry for a while with Young Life and then he went back into ministry which he said air quotes ministry as an attorney. And that, that paradigm messed with me quite a bit. So I studied finance at Florida thinking I was going into the business world to represent Jesus. And you have been passionately pursuing uh, the ministry in the business world and equipping people uh, to do that. And I'm really excited to learn about it, to unpack it and uh, learn from you today.
1: Uh, it's it's an amazing thing we've watched unfold over the last roughly 30 years. Um, and the thing that excites me most about it, Robbie, is that it, there's no one guy that did it. Right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a conference that launched it or an organization that launched it. It was it's something that popped up almost simultaneously and spontaneously all over the world back in the early 90s. Huh. And so I'm just convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt. it's It's a movement of the Holy Spirit. Tell us about this movement, because
0: I've been hearing more about it from Lusanne to micro enterprise ministry stuff to how the church in Asia is really growing primarily more as much or in a large extent uh, through businesses and business leaders. Just as much as in the local church, which we would traditionally say is a Sunday type experience or gathering,
1: is that true? true. What? You- yeah, it's very true. Uh, it, uh, really, the the it's happening in, like you say. All, all kidding aside, every continent except Antarctica, hmm. uh, because I think what's happening is the 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 new wine is finally getting into some new wineskins, skins, hmm. and the traditional pathway of ministry is not obsolete. It's just we're seeing it as a much a much broader, much more holistic kind of experience. I, for, so, I guess the best way to unpack it is to give you a little bit of my background because it's uh, <laughs> it, it it makes no sense. If you go to my LinkedIn profile, you think I must be 150 years old, but it's just a, it's just a lot of things happening all at one time. So, just the short version: I was converted to Christ when I was in college. Uh, and found myself, I refer to myself as the accidental church planter, mm. because uh, three or four other guys and myself were all new believers, and we, we didn't know what to do on Friday nights, right? I was pretty, I was pretty comfortable with what a pagan does on Friday nights, yep. but I had no idea, because uh, I had no Christian background, no idea what does a, a follower of Jesus do on Friday night. So as, as all good followers of Jesus would do, we got together, we read the Bible, we prayed, and we played cards, and that was, we didn't know what we were doing, but pretty soon that that four or five person group went to eight, went to 16, went to, you know, kept growing until we had pushing 200 at some points in time, meeting on a Friday night. And it was interesting. We would be reading the Bible. We would be praying. We actually got to where we were doing the, the ordinances. We would do baptism for new converts. We would do the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. And when you look in at, at church history and you look at theological definition of a church, you realize that we planted a church yep, and we didn't even know it, which I think is probably one of the healthiest parts of it. Well, that that launched me in, into sort of a formal ministry career path. I was like your dad actually going to law school huh. and uh, decided I didn't want to do that and, and went for biblical and theological training, ended up starting a church on Hilton Head, um, other places as well. And um, for about, well, 15 years total, I was pastoring. But midway through that, I started experiencing something that was weird and hard to explain. I didn't want to be a pastor. I love preach. Don't get me wrong. I love preaching. I love teaching the word. I love, I love discipling people. You know, I, I love shepherding people, but there was something about the formal church pastorate that was just eating my insides out. And I didn't like getting paid to do it. That bothered me. And that's not a shot at anybody who is, I totally believe in that. This was me. But the bigger issue was, was that I really wanted to be out where lost people were. You know, I, I'm not an evangelist, but I love being out with lost people. And I found, that the, the the title of pastor became almost a negative as i tell people it became a barrier more than a bridge you know of course you would tell me jesus is the answer because you're a pastor that's your job so as i began to seek the lord about that and how could i be out more connecting with with folks in the trenches he just said go into business and it, you know it wasn't a revelation it took a while for me to get it through my head and so i gradually transitioned out of the formal pastorate and into a uh, a business capacity where i was loving it because I was sent all over the world by some of my clients where I was able to witness to people in the workplace. How old were you when you made that transition? Uh, It began when I was about 27 and probably completed when I was about 35. Wow! So it took a while.
0: Yep. You were transitioning, continuing to be a pastor for a day job and then transitioning into the business world
1: exactly yeah it was it was no cl- there was no clean path to it. it it seemed very natural to me as it was unfolding but there was no like clean break like they didn't kick me out of the church and i had to go get a job on you know monday or something yeah. like that probably should have but they didn't so um just i found myself able everywhere to witness to people in the business in the marketplace which is to me a new experience i loved it and i would have people come up to me after a week study of statistical process control. Any engineers listening to this podcast, their eyes are lighting up because nobody else knows what it is. It's probably one of the most boring topics in the world. But I remember one guy in, uh, in Saskatchewan came up and he, he asked me if I could have dinner with him that night. And we we're about 30 hours into a 40-hour course. I said, sure. Why? He said, because you know God and I don't. Huh. I was blown away. I mean, I wanted to ask you, what part of upper control limits and lower, you know, but what, what, what made that difference? But the Holy Spirit was at work. And wow. so I, I went from having a, a chapter in my life of, of, you know, formal, traditional, sort of sacred ministry into what many people would call secular work, but with ministry mixed into it. And it was great. It was a wonderful 10 years. I had fit, about 10 years of the pastor at the time and about 10 years of, of business at the time. But I kept wrestling with, you know, Lord, this has got to all fit together. So the punchline is, after wrestling with this, this is the way the Lord deals with me, I guess, um, I ended up being invited to Kyrgyzstan, the newly independent Republic of Kyrgyzstan in Central Asia. Went over there more out of curiosity than out of a sense of call. But when I was there, the Lord met me in one of the most profound ways since my conversion. Hmm. I call it the for this was I made moment because what happened there is I found that as a Christian Christian, in business the entire country was opened up to me wow. i mean the quarters of power the villages of the poor it didn't matter because I, I was bringing something they perceived to be of value and at that point i began to realize these two things are not separate they are one and that's that's where ultimately the the term business as a mission came about it was we used the term the, the seamless integration of business as mission and in that context of working among the Kyrgyz for me it took great definition in in a missional capacity in a global missions uh, kind of context
0: you said that started for you uh, in Kyrgyzstan and it how have you been doing this work since then and what does this work look like to you I'm, I'm trying to get my head around are you playing factories over there are you coaching people are you how, how are you helping spread this mission
1: Yeah. So what we started to do in Kyrgyzstan, um, it was very much a a sort of a, some people call it avocation. I had a day job. I've always been doing management consulting or working as an executive for one of my clients. And that really hasn't ceased, but we began taking teams of American Christian business people Hmm. over to Kyrgyzstan, a a country of, at that time, incredible poverty. Unemployment was about 65%, which is unimaginable, but it was. Uh, And what we found was in the Christian community, uh, minority persecuted Christian community, it was about 90%. So that would mean in in an average church of of 50 people, right, five of them would have a job. And so it was just stunting the growth of the church, the passion of the Kyrgyz Christians, former Muslims, uh, beautiful to behold. I I remember standing on a mountain overlooking Bishkek, the capital city, with a guy named um, Karuchbek. And he wanted to pray. So I said, fine. So I prayed typical American prayer, kind of quiet, you know. And uh, he stood with his arms outraised, raised and, and it just began to bellow over the city. And I thought, you know, the Lord's going to open the earth up and swallow these guys. It was so powerful. But their passion was amazing. But their poverty was crippling. Hmm. And so we began to realize that we could take our ability to start and grow businesses, transplant it to them, not do it for them, but transplant it to them, provide funding, coaching, mentoring, and so forth, that we could make a difference in that. And that's where what became known as the Joel Doss Project was was formed. And it was a micro-enterprise development project that used volunteers. Uh, it, was, it was donation-based investment with no ex- ex- expectation of repayment, mm. although it was repaid. Mm. And in the first few years, started several hundred businesses, and we saw, ironically for us, what we really got excited about it's about every other business that was started resulted in a church being planted Wow! because they would go into a village, they would go into a town, business would give them relationship. It would give them standing, even though they were believers. And from those relationships came disciples and what do disciples do go back to Friday night at college, they get together, they read the Bible, they pray, they play cards. Yep. So we began to see churches pop up all over central Asia. Well, it wasn't long before other people in the mission world noticed this and wanted us to come do it in other countries and so we had you know projects going in indonesia we had projects going in egypt in morocco you know almost almost exclusively among unreached people groups you know those where there is no sustainable uh, indigenous church. They still need the, the boost from the outside. So that's where it began. And then over time, that's still going, by the way. I stepped away from that. I'm chairman of the board, but I'm not involved in that on a daily basis. I stepped away from that in 2012 because I, again, the Lord began to give me a sense of discontent with that. And that was the great thing, but they didn't need me. And so I was like, okay, Lord, these folks are up and running. They do it on their own. They don't need me around what is it you want? And he began to give me a heart for the next generation. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not an old man, but I'm an older guy. And I really believe that the next generation of disciples coming along in the business community are going to be the real world changers. And I think we've, we've sort of, you know, blazed a trail. We we've left some marks on the trees, but there's a lot of people, not just in the U S by the way, but really all over the world Mm. that feel called to business. They love God and they, they really haven't known what to do with that. They feel like like the world has, or the system, I should say, the system gives them two paths, right? If you love God and you love business, you got to make a choice. You either go into ministry or you go into business and tithe and be the faithful business person for Christ, which is wonderful. But that's where the term third path came from. We said there's got to be another way, a hmm. third path. Where you can love God in business, and you can see Him glorified. You can see the kingdom expanded. You can see men and women coming to Christ, being discipled. You can see businesses, you know, going to places that nobody else can go—closed countries, restricted access countries—and um, it's happening. I mean, to the to the point now where it's, it's such a movement. Um, I mean, we have we have Silicon Valley gazillionaires creating investment funds mm. to help fund not just these little micro enterprises, but but bigger businesses. 100,000 dollar investment in some cases million dollar investments and they're creating jobs they're alleviating poverty they're wow. establishing churches they're they're breaking human trafficking rings i mean the goodness that's coming out of this is absolutely incredible
0: ha uh, unpack what you've seen you mentioned earlier it really took off in the 90s and it felt like a a movement or uh, what have you watched is it a movement is it a revival of god leveraging business and capitalism for the kingdom or uh, describe what you've seen?
1: Yeah, I think, well, I, I like your term capitalism for the kingdom. It's it's a, uh, well, I've seen several things happen again, more or less simultaneously, Robbie. The the part of what happens is when you would see people go overseas to be able to use their business gifts in a, an incredibly obvious way for Christ, right? It's It's, it's not as obvious as just being a Um, you know, a witness in the workplace, but being able to go overseas and help struggling believers start businesses, change their lives, multiply churches. What, what, What I saw that was so exciting was that business people, particularly in the American church, but it took off in the UK and Australia and other places, they began to realize that their calling was a high and holy calling too. You know, this is never ever meant to be a criticism of anybody that's in traditional ministry. That's a high and holy calling, but so is business, so is medicine, so is education, right? And so, as business people, the great unreleased resource of the church began to understand that they weren't just walking checkbooks, but their their calling to business, their joy in business, their knowledge of business, could really make a difference around the world for the kingdom. You you, you would watch people spread wings and fly. It was just it was beautiful to see that they no longer had to. Limit themselves to sock puppets in vacation Bible school. They can mm. they can hop on a plane and and take their knowledge of entrepreneurialism or or engineering or manufacturing and literally impact the world with that and watch the goodness come out of it. It goes on and on, but that's that's what I saw. Now I would say that that is matured to the point that it's the American church still isn't fully embracing it, but it's embraced, mm. right? It's a little bit like the message of grace you know, it's not embraced everywhere. It's, it's sort of embraced. This is similar to that.
0: Yep. What would it look like to you if the American
1: church really did embrace this? Wow. So I wrote a book about that actually called the The pastor and the business person. And, and what it would look, what it would look like is I think several things. One is, is business people would be as honored within the church body as pastors and missionaries. I mean, first of all, when was the last time you saw somebody who was taking a new job called up to the front of the body to be commissioned for that job? All right. So it would it would have visible signs mm-hmm. of support and respect and recognition, not in a prideful way, but it would be the body recognizing just as, you know, Billy Bob is, is called to go to uh, Uganda, you know, so Joe Bob is called to go work in corporate McDonald's. I mean, it, it would be that that recognition. The second thing is, I think it would really unleash our minds to see what the kingdom really is, that the kingdom is not just a future thing. The kingdom is also a here and now thing. You know, the kingdom is where the king is. Uh, The kingdom is where the king reigns. Well, the king reigns in business, just as he does in the church. Mm. And so being able to go through that, to me would be, that that would rock our world. Um, And I think that the third thing, would, would be to see pastors really take on, and, and I'm, this is not a shot at pastors, because again, I lived it, it it's that, see them really take on, what does it mean to equip a man or a woman to serve Christ in the business world? You know, we're pretty good at equipping business people to serve Christ within the four walls of the church, but what about serving, you know, serving him at the office hmm. or in the factory or in the truck? How did, Who can teach him how to do that? I think that's part of the pastoral role equipping people equipping the saints for the work of the ministry and that's their ministry your dad's a great example you know as a lawyer who who in and out of the legal profession saw it as his ministry who would equip him? how to do that he probably had to do a lot of stuff on his own yeah and
0: and if the past i'm assuming a lot of pastors listening go well i don't feel equipped to that well if we don't feel equipped we how do we delegate if i love what you said uh delegate um and empower others to develop others inside the church as the body to because of the unreleased resource of the church we have churches full of talented legs and arms and hands and feet and different parts of the body and you're right we we don't um hold businessmen and women as high and holy callings as we do uh, more professional roles of pastor pastoral work, and man, that is off. That feels so like we are missing in a major way.
1: it, it is and it's a, it, we're a product of our own history uh-huh. uh, you know where we've created this sacred secular divide yep. and we now have sacred places and secular places and sacred clothes and secular clothes and you know it's why wouldn't we why would we be shocked that that shows up in the way we view life? But the fact is, when Jesus begins to tear down the the walls and the barriers and the the false concepts, and you begin to understand that everybody's ministry, everybody's calling, everybody's gifting is equally important, or he wouldn't have given it, right? I mean, we used to joke about it. Nobody ever taught this, but I would talk about the missionary training school I went to uh, post-college, and it was interesting that we came out, I guarantee you any graduate that you talk to would would, would uh, agree with this, that the, the highest pinnacle of, of calling was missionary, right? If God really, if, he, if you were special to God, you'd be a missionary, not by your choice, but by his. If you were kind of special, you'd be a pastor. If you were eh, somewhat special, you, you could be a teacher, a nurse, a doctor, you know, one of the caring professions that mm. legitimized what they do. And uh, then, if you you know, after that, you could be a business person. And what we used to laugh about is, this, and and below that's the lawyers, right? That's because right. everybody that's has right. this this view. And then God comes along, Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount, and just blows all that away. You know, when he starts saying blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, I mean, it's it's the it's the upside down view of life. And when you finally get there, you start realizing, wow, this make, this truly makes sense. And I think calling is like that, Robbie. That we. We refer to calling as, I mean, who says that you we were called to business? Mm. I, more and more people are. That's, mm-hmm. to me, the good news. More and mm-hmm. more people are saying, I, I've been called to business. I'm pursuing my calling. But I, I, not enough.
0: I love that. For for the businessmen and women listening to this, I don't know when the last time they heard that they their calling as a part of the body, specifically called and designed, the way that God has called and designed them to be a part of what he's doing in the kingdom, which you said is here now, is a high and holy calling. And that is not something to dismiss. That's something to celebrate and honor and to lean into. And to the pastors listening to this, um, you don't have to unlock and unrelease this resource of the church yourself because this might be a territory that you don't feel competent in. But to empower and prioritize, to leverage your influence and empower that, what would you what would you hope a pastor listening to this would do specifically to unlock more of that resource in the church?
1: No, it's a that's a great question because I don't have an expectation that pastors will suddenly become you know disciplers of entrepreneurs and teaching them how to innovate. I mean, mm. I don't have that expectation. It could happen, but to me, the, the the pastoral role in this whole thing is is really preaching the legitimacy of the call. Mm. As as long as I either don't believe that business is a call, or i believe it's a it's a semi legitimate call i'm not going to throw myself into it with absolute abandon and yet that's what that's what god wants he wants us to see the pathway clear and throw ourselves into it with no reserve mm. that's what when i use the term abandon that's what i mean i mean i'm i'm jumping off the building you know i'm not going down the stairs i'm jumping off the building and and so if a pastor or any church staff member for that matter could simply spend the time teaching and encouraging just that mm right the high and holy calling of business the high and holy calling of teaching the high and holy calling of medicine if we could really honor all the calling that's out there it would that i think people they're already there they're already pushing the walls down they're already you know leaning against the fence it's going to give way mm-hmm. the pastors they're the gatekeepers mm-hmm. and they could really unleash a phenomenal movement of god's people around the world if they would if they really would believe this and if they really would turn around and and um, and promote it. I don't think it's going to take a lot. I think the wood is dry; it's ready for a match.
0: I love it, even for the attorneys, even for the attorneys <laughs> out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. But the, it. But the funny thing is, right? So we have all these preconceived notions. All kidding aside, we have this pre- preconceived yeah. notions of what's good, bad, and ugly. And and Jesus says, no, the woman who's wiping my feet with her hair, and and her tears. This is phenomenal. Yeah. Right. What's the equivalent of that today? I don't know, but, but we need to honor it, man.
0: So as we, as we wrap up, what are your hopes for, um, the business men and women in regards to the tension between how they can steward their current positions? If it feels unproductive and un oriented, for example, I'm just coding and I have very little ministry impact currently. So how, how, do, how do they steward their roles and tasks that God's put them in now in, in let's call it, the U.S.? And how do they leverage this? Uh, how can they be a part of the broader work of what God's doing around the world?
1: Yeah, that's really a good question. So I, I'll answer it in two ways. Um, one is, is we, we really need to have our eyes open to see the reality. It's much like Elisha and his servant in Dothan you know, where he says, Lord, open his eyes, and suddenly the servant sees that they're surrounded by angels there as their, as their guards. I mean, what an amazing revelation. I think we need to be praying for that, that, that mm. God would open our eyes to see the value and the, and the intrinsic value of what we do right now. Coding is a great example. You never know the code you're writing now, how it's going to be utilized somewhere to bring blessing to somebody, right? So there's that whole, just really give me a fresh perspective on work, mm. period. The other side of it uh, is to really thoughtfully and prayerfully—we use the term um, intentional—to see, to seek the Lord on how what you do is connected to what He's doing in the world, Mm. right? And and there's—I mean, what God is doing in the world is right—He's making disciples of every nation, right? It's Revelation 7-9, at the end of the game. People from every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation with their palm branches in hand, worshiping God and the Lamb— that's that's what he's doing, and so you got to ask yourself, well, Lord, if that's what you're doing, you're discipling the nations, and the kingdom's coming right now. How can my work connect to that? And he will show you amazing ways. I mean, I would have never thought that my gift for starting companies would have resulted. Because it started out as a gift for starting churches. Mm. I, I, I wouldn't have imagined that that would have connected to what he's doing in the unreached people groups. Same mm. thing is true of of so many other vocations. It's like there is a connection. Sometimes it is just giving. And that's great. We need, we need givers or investing, but we also need people that can take their knowledge, go serve for a month in Nairobi, mm. Kenya, make a difference. Uh, there's so many different ways. So I, so I answer two ways. One, open my eyes now to see what's going on and really give me a strong sense of intentional connection to what you're doing in the world. Wow.
0: I love that. Um, as as a guy similar to you, who's been in quote unquote, uh, the top tier full-time ministry per the world's, you know, like the church's view of like God's calling and I've slung pizzas and worked, you know, as lifeguards in different roles, uh, um, Counseling in a secular agency, different roles professionally. Um, for those listening out there that are wondering, you know, th- is the grass greener? Do I just need to save enough, work enough to go into ministry full time? I would I would just echo your heart, Mike, and say from my personal experience, no. <laughs> like, it, there's no difference. Be faithful to wherever God calls you, and that's if you're in ministry. And I love your example that God put on your heart to go into the business world as a calling and shifting from full-time ministry into the business world. And I don't know about you, but I can attest to there's no difference of yeah. ministry, non-ministry, work-wise, waking up every day and trusting God more deeply with whatever He stewards for me is is the, the key and the same regardless of the position. There's no greener grass.
1: Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, there, there's such a thing as a holy discontent mm-hmm. that God can use to awaken you to, to something different than maybe what you're doing right now. But I don't want to see it be an artificial discontent that comes because the, the the language we use and the institutions that we honor create this this fakeness of well this is better than that right mm-hmm. and so I think that I think that's vital I think we we've got you, you know we talk a lot and and you in the world of true Face in particular it's all about trusting God right mm-hmm. not about striving to please God but it's trusting God when you when you go out into this sort of leaving your definitions and distinctions behind that you've leaned on for so long and used to define yourself for so long. I'm pleasing to God because I'm a pastor. Mm. I can tell you, I felt that.
0: Yeah.
1: I didn't, ironically, I didn't feel pleasing to God, but I was pleasing to God because I was a pastor. Now it's like, okay, Lord, how am I, what's going on here? He says, just in this message, is trust me, believe me, count on me and I'll be there. Yeah. When I first left the, the pastorate to go into business, my seminary professors who were my good friends called me to see if I'd lost my faith. Literally. Mm, wow. And when I would explain what God was doing, it was all good. But I mean, they, that was their first response. You have to trust that God's gifting, God's calling, God's leading, uh, that it is good. Yep. And it, it couldn't be anything other than that.
0: It, it is hard. The identity and all the narratives that we're told and we carry in our attempt to please God and do for God and earn God's love is a real thing. And, it is. and and we are susceptible to that in ministry roles that it's scary to me because I've felt it and I carry that weight. And I actually do an internal dialogue that mentors and close friends know that I do that. I, I, I say, God, you know, right now, I feel like I'm a part of what you have in store for me to spend some of my time and talents in a ministry role of True Face. But am I listening to and open and trusting you enough that if you put that um, desire on my heart to go to be a school bus driver, and because you would know that through that faithfulness and smiling at elementary school kids every morning, that you would plant something in some kid's heart that then would mature into a faith that would affect his kid one day who might be the next world changer or Billy Graham, yeah. you know, and yeah. and in the kingdom, God orchestrating different time, talents, and treasures, and people and gifts for what he has to do is so well beyond what we can plan. And the power of that in ministry is, I I loved what you said earlier, of just the the thoughtful and watchful and prayerful um, opportunities that God will give any of us regardless of our position. And in unlocking the unreleased resource of the church is just so compelling to me and exciting. Man, if we can pray that that happens, because... You're right. In churches, incredibly talented homemakers and businessmen and businesswomen and ministry people, whoever it is, we all have time, talents and treasures to go here. Here I am, God. And how often the church has seen the talented part of the body, which is like 80 percent of the body, different parts, which is people and more than that. I don't know what percentage we see them as as resources. As people to write the checks for what God will do, and how messed up that is, and unbiblical, and how we're still talking about the woman who washed Jesus's feet with her hair, and yeah, you yeah. know the impact she's had uh, throughout the past couple thousand years. Man, I pray for that because the time and the talents to to see those as holy and high. Man, let's do that.
1: I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, hearing um, Howard Hendricks, which I hope you had the privilege of studying under when you were at Dallas. I did. Love that, love that man. We called him Prof, of course. Mm-hmm. He's a, he was a legend. Yeah. But one time he said, the definition of, of ministry is much like a football game. You have 22 men on the field in desperate need of rest and 80,000 people in the stands in desperate need of exercise. <laughs> and so I've taken that and used it as a mantra to say, let's get people out of the stands. What's holding them in the stands? And let's take that away. And so that all of the people, business people, homemakers, you know, moms, grandparents, doctors, doesn't matter, pastors even, uh, are actually involved in kingdom building. That, that's been the best. So much of what he said has stuck with me. That's certainly yep. one of them. Amen. God,
0: God, I pray for that and I go that. And whoever's listening to that podcast, let's all pray that now with Mike, that, that 85,000 in the stands watching the tired people on the field. If we unlock the 85,000, as part of the kingdom, because they are high and holy resources. God, we, we pray boldly that what you started over the past couple of decades of this business as mission and seeing time, talents, and treasures for the kingdom regardless of position, which we believe is the way you see us, that you will unlock a revival through business in the coming years all around the world. Um, come on, God. That is awesome.
1: Amen. Mike, that is awesome. um,
0: tell us real quick as we wrap up, um, for people listening that are stirred to learn more about this, uh, it, can they do that at third path, thirdpathinitiative.com?
1: Yeah, third, third Path is basically an online educational portal for people to become familiar with, learn how to practice, learn how to start kingdom businesses uh, anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's meant to be accessible. We say accessible, affordable, actionable, but it's a good place to start. And then there are, we also refer to other places around the world that are also great resources to go and learn more. There's a lot out there uh, from where there was 30 years ago. And so I encourage anybody, that's a good place to start.
0: Thanks for being a part of uh, getting this out there as, as a resource generator and a teacher yourself. Um, well, thanks for having me, Robbie. Mike, it is awesome to have you as a new friend and a part of the True Face team. And if, If you've appreciated this podcast, uh, please subscribe to it, like it, share with a friend. And thanks for being a part of the True Face team, everybody. See ya.